Who give me that squirrel's not running? Who give me that squirrel's not running? Oh, I was just happy I was able to give Matt a nice foot massage. Um, I want to be a patient. I rubbed Squirrel's nut butter all over his feet and I just kept rubbing, dude. Like, I, I didn't want to stop and finally Matt was like, dude, stop rubbing my feet, put my shoe on. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, dude, I just love feet, you know? Like, like that dude off Mr. Deeds who just loves feet, he's always asking people to rub their feet. That was me, dude. Got caught in that moment there. But, no, I had a good time, you know? It was just a great, great experience and, uh, we, uh, we, I think we could have, You haven't yeah, lived, you haven't lived till you brought Matt's bunions. Oh, dude, those bunions, dude. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, did you put enough on? Like, what was... Training for Ultra, Ultra Running Stories from the Middle of the Pack. My book is now available on Audible in iTunes, so feel free to check it out. Really appreciate it. And that was a moment I, I can look back on now. And uh, that was one of my favorite moments, getting a foot massage by Hayden at mile 62. This is um, a fan of yours, and I'm just calling in to express my admiration. It's Dean Carnassus, the ultra marathon man. Hello, listeners. This is Chris Mako, and we are live. And you're listening to Training for Ultra podcast. This is Anime Flynn, and I'm here talking to Training for Ultra podcast. Yeah, it's like really, I just need to catch up with Rob. 100 miles is not that far. <laughs> I, I thought it was oh. a joke, actually. It, it is. I thought it was one of your jokes, yeah. It is a joke. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so classic. <laughs> Oh my god, you because literally thing would be like beep, 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 mother, mother, beep, mother, mother, beep, beep, mother, beep, mother, beep, 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 beep. One, two, one, two, three, four, five. Training for Ultra Podcast. I'm Sally McRae, also known as Yellow Runner. Hey, this is Carl Meltzer, the Speed Goat, and I want to welcome everybody to the Training for Ultra Podcast. Hey guys, this is Latoya Shante Snell, running fat chef. Yeah, you better not whisper that. And you are joining the Training for Ultra podcast. Welcome to episode 104. My name is Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra. And welcome to the Training for Ultra podcast. We have a really good episode today. We have Latoya on. She is, um, I would say, my top five most inspiring ultra runners. Um, I met her at a UD summit earlier this year, and she's just a phenomenal person. Really interesting to speak with her and get some background on her story, and I can only see her growing into um, an even bigger part of our community. So excited to share this episode. Big thank you to the show sponsors, Ultimate Direction, as always, Sufferfest Beer, Hammer Nutrition, Exoskin, in Destination Trail. Also, big shout out to the Patreon supporters. You guys are awesome. Now you have access to exclusive discounts for coaching with Matt Daniels Run Club. So I'm starting to add a few more perks to Patreon, and you guys make this all work. So big thank you to the sponsors, though. Ultimate Direction, I'm really excited to have a UD waist belt that I use at Bigfoot that I'll I liked it so much. I'm going to use the same one at Tahoe with the Kogala light. It has a perfect little pack for the battery and 
it really, if you turn it up bright, oh my gosh, um, you could probably see it from space. It's uh, it's awesome how it worked. So big thank you to them. Big thank you to Sufferfest Beer. I am expecting to have a beer at the finish line of Tahoe 200. Hammer Nutrition. Feel free to use my promo code or referral code 252888 to save 15% off your first order. And I'll be using a ton of their gels and Perpetuum, Recoverite. And don't forget to check where your vitamins are coming from. I really like their vitamins. Um, big thank you to Destination Trail, Candace Burt and her team. Bigfoot was kind of a lifetime experience there. And they have just excellent races. So, And of all distances, too. They're not just 200 milers. Candace puts on... Yeah, some really great events, so check those out when you get a chance. And last but not least, Exoskin. I am using the exact same socks, calf sleeves, base layers. I've been wearing the compression shorts and pants, like the bottoms for um, recovery. And I even wore their hat on a uh, training run today. But Exoskin, the toe socks for me, I'm in love with those. I think they're the best socks on the market. Same with the... um, the calf sleeves are just high quality. They don't smell after you've been out running a 200 miler for several days. You can get away with actually, I only wash my socks, honestly, every maybe second or third wear just because they don't smell. I don't think it's necessary. Um, they're very high tech, breathable material and worth checking out. If you need 20% off, feel free to use T the number four U 20 for 20% off exoskin. Enjoy this episode. I mean, I'm trying to think of any last minute things here. I got Tahoe 200. I'll have some pre-race thoughts on my next episode. Hopefully we'll have some UTMB type um, conversations on the next episode. And I've been just excited to get Latoya on the show and finally our schedule synced up. So we went for it and I think you'll enjoy it. So enjoy this episode. Don't forget to enjoy your training. I'm I'm joined here by Latoya. I met her actually at a UD conference summit here in Boulder, Colorado, and I was hugely inspired by her. and And just for the listeners' background, this is someone that's in a room with Scott Jurek, Anton was there, um, a bunch of other just highly inspirational people. And my takeaway, honestly. I thought Latoya's story was one of the most inspirational. So thank you for joining me here. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. That day was a lot of pressure. I'm like, hey, no pressure. You know, there's a whole bunch of big names in the room. I that's <laughs> That might actually been the most impressive part. <laughs> you have like the founder of, of UD there, like right. their entire staff. It was a cool event. Yeah. I felt really honored that they actually um, invited me out to the UD's, um, you know, meet and when they told me everybody that was showing up, I'm like, oh, great. Um, imposter syndrome. Um, you know, don't <laughs> tap in now. You know, but I think when it comes to these things is you have to really honor who you are inside. You're not looking to compete against the next person in the exactly. room. You have to be able to say to yourself, my story is just as dynamic as anyone else. Uh, and that's the mindset that I walked into. I got the ultimate direction email and I was like, oh, they put me on the wrong email. Like, oh, no, <laughs> no I'm, I'm totally kidding, <laughs> but <laughs> um, it was cool to meet in person. And I always like uh, a lot of the listeners might not realize I like to kind of have a sense of the person that I'm going 
going to interview and I sometimes will not interview people on purpose because maybe like I just don't feel a good uh, match there. But man, I was blown away um, getting to chat with you and then it was it's been fun already. I mean, we've we've been talking pre-interview here. So for the listeners background, actually, you know what I want to start with is your sponsors because you're a sponsored athlete. And yes. I always like having them uh, be able to shout out to their sponsors. Oh, yeah, man. Um, like I, I'm sponsored by a number of great companies. Um, my biggest sponsor to date is um, Hoka One One. And for any of those people that's been like, I didn't know it was pronounced like that. Yes, it's, it's not Hoka One One. It's Hoka One One. Um, they're an incredible sponsor. I've been with them uh, since January 1st of this year. Um, I'm also sponsored by Ultimate Direction Super Fit Hero, which is a small business. I love their athletic wear. It's a, 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 a wear that actually is more tailored towards women, women, but I've actually seen men pull off wearing their leggings, which is really dope to me. Um, their size basically goes from like an extra small to like a 5XL. Cool. So they are super inclusive. Um, so I love their brand. Um, I partnered up this year with um, Icor Labs, which is basically like a CBD um, oil company, and they started actually making um, an ointment that you can rub on your skin. It's been really helpful considering that I have a number of disabilities that keeps me pretty inflamed on a regular basis, whether I work out or not. I am also partnered with Scratch Labs and... Um, the last thing that I actually picked up, I became a, um, I became like a spokesperson for Eloquy, which is a, basically a clothing company that I didn't realize until actually like the last week of um, like stealing off the deal. I didn't realize they were actually partnered up with Walmart. Um, wow. Huge That's surprise huge. with that. Yeah, oh. like I, like when when I actually um, did the campaign, a um, it kind of scared me a little bit. I didn't realize how many places that this was actually being shown. It is very trippy to walk around your hometown <laughs> and see your face on the side of a train. You know, pressure, no pressure. You know. <laughs> well, I mean, I I just love how I'm I'm the follow up from the Today Show. Um, <laughs> pressure, pressure's on. Um, and Latoya, you're only going to have more sponsors and more success. So I want to go back. Where where did you um where did you grow up? Oh man, I'm still here. I'm um, Brooklyn, New York. You know, um, like that's like the last place on the planet that people really think of ultra runners. Uh, like even to me, you know, I didn't. I don't have a runner's background. You know, I I grew up in Brooklyn all of my life, and uh, I'm a Bed-Stuy, East New York, and Crown Heights um, girl. Anyone who's familiar with those areas, they'll tell you that as a 1985 kid, those areas wow. were statistically stereotypically very rough. Yeah, yeah very rough like the only time that people really could reference Bedford Stuyvesant was really like in Biggie lyrics like you know people mm -hmm. are like oh bed Stuy, do or die don't come outside your house at the three o'clock because they'll start shooting um it's not the place that you would associate with thinking trail runner or even a road runner inspiration I mean <gasps> sometimes right yeah yeah it inspires you you know if you hear a it's couple gunshots it might inspire you to run a little bit faster <laughs> <laughs> That is true. Um, and so when did you pick up running? Like, how did how did you transform over those years? How did you survive and, and you know, get a taste for running? Yeah, um, definitely was the, the – it's always terrible that I always say, um, but it's very honest. Um, 
I want to say that some of the things that I've done, some of the most dynamic things I've done in my life were happy accidents. And I'm starting to look at it a little bit different, like over the last couple of months, that is not so much of a happy accident. I think these were things that scared the hell out of me that I didn't think that I can do because of bad stereotypes. And it's not so much just a shattering stereotype for my community, but shattering the stereotypes that I had within myself. Um, I started running in 20, the end of 2013, like around October 2013. Um, I did it because it was a bucket list item. Uh, like two years, like about like, almost close to two years before that, like the week before, week of Hurricane Sandy, I found myself going from working full time as a chef to being diagnosed with sciatica, disdegeneration, and a host of other health issues. And I was just like, okay, um, what do I do from here? Because in my head, I thought that culinary would be my entire life. They were like, hey, listen, um, we need you to actually focus on recovery. In my head, I said, this is going to be no more than two weeks tops, and I'll be right back at work. It turned out to be the hardest year of my life. And my doctor looked at me and said, hey, if you keep up like this, you're not going to see 30. And my response to him was, okay. You know, like, it's... it's that's, that's one of the hardest moments in my life. When I think about a moment where I feel like I completely gave up on myself, that would be my defining moment. And for some reason, out of all places, Instagram um, was my source of inspiration. I saw this lady. She was incredibly fit. But you can see that all over the internet um, yeah. when you look up Fitspo. But it was about her spirit that really that really um, got to me. Um, with her... Um, she took the chance and actually replying back to me. I was super psyched. I'm like, oh my God, she has like 5,000 followers. Like, I didn't know how this thing worked with, um, when it came to numbers and social media. I was just like, oh, 5,000, that's a lot of people. You know, um, and she responded back to me and she's like, why don't you find a way to make yourself accountable? Initially, and I know this is like one of those like curse words on the internet. Initially, my journey started off as a weight loss journey because with that weight loss, it was supposed to give me salvation and freedom. Then, oh, it's going to make me this dynamic person. I was well over 265 pounds. Um, I, I'm so sorry about my background because um, this is definitely um, stereotypical Brooklyn. No, it's um, no problem. <laughs> I'm I'm really interested in this story. What, like, so who was this uh, Instagram account? Um, Do you remember them name? still? Yeah. Or no? Actually, oh no, you never forget people that that she changed your life. Um, she's actually a school teacher. Like, she's not like you know, just an everyday hero. Um, you know, when people are like, oh yeah, you know, like this big superstar was my inspiration. No, my my everyday hero. Her name is Jen Dereamer. Um, She's a school teacher from Florida, but she was doing cool. all these like, you know, crazy workouts. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize it was Beachbody. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I was like, oh, crap. I'm like, but the beautiful part about her is that she didn't try to sell me on a program. Instead, she was trying to sell me on life. Like the school teacher in her shined. And yeah. that stuck out to me so much that she cared about this stranger on the internet to actually say, find a way to make yourself accountable. She's like, you're one of those people who can camouflage in plain sight. You're just personable enough that you can hide every ounce of your insecurity and turn it into a joke. And she picked that up on me within like a couple of conversations. She's like, you're super transparent. But mm -hmm. if you want to hide, you could because nobody would think anything's wrong with you. Is that, like, that's like the Brooklyn in you, right? Yeah, like you definitely. gotta, you gotta have that ability to, 
basically survive those if you're ever out late, right? Yeah, like, you know, like, the thing is, you, as an 85, like, I want to say there's more than just being a 1985 Brooklyn girl. It's more like it's uh, a part of, like, uh, the urban African-American struggle where during those times, it's like you don't show any signs of weakness. And when you add on that layer of being a woman, we're always expected to be on. We have to be strong. You, You have to be a superhero, but then you have to relinquish your powers when it comes to men. Um, and that's the, that was the, the stereotype of being an African-American woman growing up in Bed-Stuy. You know, you don't cry um, when somebody, you know, teases you. You don't you don't show emotion when you're going through hardships. You definitely don't do anything like I do and be transparent about your backgrounds and your shortcomings. You have to be on 24-7. And I realized that she saw it through me. And I wasn't scared of it. You know, I I actually embraced it because by that point, I actually was about to give up on life. Um, not, I wasn't suicidal, but it was more like, if I die, it's okay. I made peace with it. And I don't think anyone at the age of 27 or 28 um, that have, you know, have health issues that can be worked on should actually give up on their life. Um, it was a dark moment. So... I used her advice and I literally ran with it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to use my very small Facebook and Instagram following. And I'm going to take pictures of my, essentially my weight loss journey. My weight loss journey took me into yoga, which is not for me. I I consider it a spiritual journey. Um, I'm not religious, but I do believe that yoga kind of keeps me balanced. It keeps me from killing anyone on the subway. Um, (laughs) And, I saw your post yesterday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. Oh no, this is, yeah, it was brutal. Like so, I, I, I'm not even going to touch on that one. It's so it's, <laughs> it's typical New York. <laughs> yeah, I lived there for three months. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's it's sketchy. It's, yeah, New York is sketchy, and we see a lot of sketchy things, and we get so accustomed to it. We're like okay, that's you know, the sickest part. Yeah, it becomes normal. Like you just see a guy passed out. He threw up on himself. Like, yeah. <laughs> and you just. Don't even think about it after a while. It's it's kind of sick, but yeah, it's, um, you know, it took for me to travel. But no, like the, um, literally, like the, um, I actually took her up on that offer. Um, I started documenting this journey. Um, but somewhere in October, uh, my one of my this is crazy. Out of all places, my MySpace buddy um, from 16 years ago. Like we've been friends for 16 years, never physically met. I'm actually going to be meeting him in mid September. Um, when I cool. go to London, the cool. trip is literally dedicated to him. So my my family and I are going to go meet this guy that I've been friends with for 16 years and our lives have crossed. He put up on Facebook, I'm going to do my half marathon. And I was like, you know what? I have this as a bucket list item. I'm going to follow suit. I never ran a 5K. I don't even run down the block at this point. And my running joke was I only run for the ice cream truck because it was kind of partially <laughs> true. You know, yeah. like, like hysterically, when I was seven months pregnant, um, I wore heels and I heard the ice cream man and I was just like in this rage for the ice cream man because it was the only thing my son would let me eat junk food wise. I ran down the stairs. He was so terrified because I did look like I was carrying twins. And he's like, ma'am, I will stop in front of your door every day if you stop running for me. And yeah. I was like, okay. Yeah. And he legit stopped. Even to this day, he still stops in front of my house. This is... <laughs> It's, I I'm just seeing so much film right here. Like you yes. get on that book right now. Yeah, I know. Um, 
but it's like these are the things that you can't make up. But this you is, can't, you can't. It's awesome. <laughs> and, but the, the beautiful part about it is that that was literally it of how I got into it. Like I wish I had like this, you know, this crazy story of oh, you know, well, I grew up since I was like five, and you know, I knew always knew I wanted to be a runner. I was just like the last thing on the <laughs> planet that I want to be is a runner, and definitely not an endurance runner. Like the only runners I knew about when before the age of 18 were sprinters like you would you'd yep. go according to the things that you would see during the olympic trials like you know that's just that was my furthest extent of running so when you hear about people all i kept thinking is who are these psychopaths that would want to run 13 <laughs> to 26 miles <laughs> i couldn't you agree know? more yeah I've, I've been there and <laughs> and it's even worse when they run past you you're just like yeah. uh like, yeah what? in awe like what why would you enjoy that? You know, like who who actually smiles for thirteen miles and says this is enjoyable? It was just to me at that time, working out or any type of exercise was a goal towards weight loss. There was no, I find joy in this. There's no peace. There's no the cliche term of running is my therapy. It is legit. This is only to maintain your weight and to maintain your health and anything outside of that. It has to be a bunch of lies. Um, there's no way that this person's enjoying what they're doing. Oh, they're collecting a paycheck. I was so pessimistic mm-hmm. about this sport that I said to myself, well, I just want to be able to prove that I can do it at least once and I'm never going to touch this again. And while I was training, I ended up meeting um, a group called Black Girls Run. They're huge. And um, I didn't know anything about them. I saw them. And I wish I was making this up. True story. This is like about five or six o'clock in the morning. There's like this group of six or eight girls. And I'm here in the, the heart of Crown Heights at this track. And it's still dark. And these girls are like, hey, how you doing? And I'm like, nobody's that damn happy at five or six o'clock in the morning. And they're rolling up on me. And they're like, hey, how you doing, sister? And I'm like, okay, no, um, where's my knife? <laughs> um <laughs> I'm like, there's no way that a complete stranger just coming up to me, this jolly there about to rob me. And she's like, no, no, no. Um, you know, um, do you do you have like um a group that you're with? And I'm like, there's things like running groups. Like I was so green mm-hmm. to how the, all this worked. And it didn't help that I had these layers where I was terrified of female friendships. I just came out of really bad friendship breakups, essentially, um, from two of my best friends. I didn't really trust women. Through their group, they gave me more than athleticism and knowing how to breathe and how to push through on harder distances. They gave me a new family. They gave me a sense of hope um, that I didn't have, that I buried for probably about four years at that point. Um, That's what really kind of like sold it to me. And they was like, you're going to rock out this race. And I did that first race. And they was like, you're going to do a marathon. And I was like, you're out of your damn mind. I guess they're right. <laughs> so take me back to your weight loss. Yeah. Um, you said you, you'd hit up to 260 pounds at one yeah. point. Is that right? Yeah, I was. Um, the last time I counted was 265 pounds. I am almost sure that I probably was like edging 300 pounds. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, like uh, I think about that time and I just remember how dark it is. And, you know, like, so now I like look at myself now and I'm like, it's crazy. I can... I openly talk about how, you know, how, what my size is right now. Like I'm 242 and at times I can go up to as high as 250 Mm -hmm. and people are like, what? Like, you don't look like that. And then I'll have to, 
almost like give people that same kind of teaching moment that Jen gave to me, which is what does 242 look like? You know, um, if you lined up six people in a room that were all at 240 pounds, even at the same height, they're not going to look the same. They're not going to be built the same. You know, um, there's things that goes into play in genetics. But at that time, you couldn't tell me that in 2013, you couldn't tell me any of this stuff. You couldn't insult me on any of these things like, oh, you can't be plus size and healthy. There's no such thing because I couldn't look beyond myself. Um, it was a really low emotional point because I felt like I was trapped in this fat suit that I couldn't escape. And the way that I coped with it is really the way that I kind of tell my stories. It's a lot of humor, but then it was very self-depreciating. Um, I would make jokes on myself so nobody else can get to me first. Mm-hmm. You know, I figured if I said all of the vicious and vile things that people were thinking in their imagination, they can't hurt me. You know, and I realized I became my worst critic. Even to this day, uh, I have to stop myself from ever beating myself up. Not so much about the weight. Like, I'm completely at peace with the weight at this point. Um, You know, I told myself if I get down to 190, I'm at 190. If I'm at 250, that's fine. As long as I am moving, I am doing something with my body, I am active, then that is the only message that I want to actually, you know, push out and pedal. Um, There's no propaganda with this. Like, hey, you know, I just want you to embrace your body. But at that time, I didn't see it like that. I looked at it as skinny as in. And the smaller I am, the more people will like me, the more people will accept me, the more that I can have that picturesque advertisement, you know, almost like those um, those sickening commercials that you see the um, the medication. Yeah. There's some kind of somebody's like hemorrhoid medication and somebody's like <laughs> frolicking and somebody's like, you know, forest and then all of the warning signs are like, being <laughs> yeah. like, 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 you know, distributed. Like, yes, you're going to get anal leakage. And I'm like, why is this person still smelling? And they're, they're in a bathtub <laughs> overlooking the ocean, and yeah, <laughs> these things are terrible. But you know, I, I that's why that, that's why they're in the bathtub. They got they got anal they linkage. They so. got anal <laughs> linkage. <laughs> you know, but you know, there's so much. Um, I want to say that there's so much talk about people think that you know weight loss and or looking a certain way is associated to happiness. That was really my mindset in 2013. I'm like, I got to lose this weight, got to lose this weight, got to lose this weight. And I did. Like, I dropped 100 pounds by 2014. Wow. Um, yeah, that was That's... like the first time I was ever put inside of a magazine was dropping 100 pounds in a year. And if you ask me, that was like the lowest point of my life. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. So you were probably not on a healthy path there. Yeah, like so, here's the thing. I want to say I was on a roller coaster of healthy and unhealthy. It started off very healthy. Um, I changed my diet. I do out like I, I I went on this complete binge of everything. I'm like throw out the my favorite thing in the world is a Reese's buttercup. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I used to eat like a, it's very terrible to admit, like because I, I, I think that is very unhealthy to eat like eight of those a day. Um, and that's that's my personal truth. I was eating like 80 of these things per day and it wasn't eating it for taste. I was eating it because I was trying to mask a lot of pain. And for me as a chef, which is like a, a, a really hard one, I felt like if I made food taste good, then maybe I can make myself feel good. Um, I was also running away from the idea that I had lost my dad. Um, I never really fully healed. And I don't think anybody ever really fully heals when you lose somebody that you love um, that much. Um, 
Yeah, I, I was I kind of threw out everything. I was just like, I'm going to eat. I'm going to have this serious health kick. And this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I'm going to eat healthy and eat clean. And it worked. The where it became unhealthy is when I started listening to everyone else's feedback. I stopped listening to myself in that process. I lost the weight. And as I was losing the weight, I had you get addicted to how people make you feel. Oh my God, girl, keep going. You're looking great. Look at your skin. It's just glowing. I got addicted to that. I'm like, oh yeah. I'm like they like me now. And then after I got <laughs> under 200 pounds, that's when the, 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 the talk changed. Oh my God, girl, you losing too much weight. Why is your face sunken in? Um, are you doing drugs? Um, are you okay? Do you need therapy? And I'm like, hold up. I'm like, I was told that these comments would stop. So it was like a different type of heckling. So the feedback is what raised the flag for you? Yeah, the feedback the feedback was huh. a trigger. Interesting. Um, and it was just like I had people like the smaller I got, I had people that would tell me, You looked better when you were fat. And I was just like, You're the same person that told me to lose weight. So what do you want me to do? But the the ultimate thing that kind of put the nail in the coffin was a friend. There's no nobody can hurt you like friends and family. Um a friend of mine said to me, and I actually put it on a shirt um, because I, I hear this a lot from people, and I was running. Um, he said, well, if you run so much, why are you still so fat? And I was just like, what? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, he's like, how much do you weigh? At the time, I was 165 pounds. I'm five foot three. And I wasn't into all of the shrimp training that I'm into now. So it was, I was pretty small, like probably like a six, eight, maybe that's not small for some people, but for me coming from like a size 20, 22, that's really small. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says to me, I got the thing for you. He wasn't a personal trainer. He was just a friend. He was like, well, you know, he's like, I know you use your, at this point I was starting to talk about going into marathons and he's like, well, how about you use your marathon as your, another part of your weight loss journey? This man talked me into eating 1200 calories a day while marathon training. Yikes. And I, yeah, which is like the, like I think about it in hindsight and I'm like, that is the scariest thing in the world. He could have killed me. Um, that was the closest that I felt to death aside from like the, the conditions that I have. I remember passing out. Um, it was like, it was very, very close to my marathon. Um, I went to work one day. I was still in the culinary industry. I was going to work. I started sweating profusely on this train. It is like 13 no more than 13 degrees outside. Um, and it's New York City winter. So it's very, very hit or miss. Mm-hmm. Either you're freezing cold or it's manageable because you're adapted to the weather. This was a day that it was freezing cold. I couldn't feel it. I was taking off my coat. Thankfully, I was going on the train with the same crowd. So they got so used to like, even as New Yorkers, we may not say anything to each other, but we do have a heart. And we don't, we're not too much of a scumbag sometimes when we see things. <laughs> on- <laughs> you know, so this regular she saw me on the train and she's like are you okay and i'm like yeah i'm fine and she's like she's like honey you're soaking wet and i'm like no i'm fine i'm just gonna take a nap and i'm gonna get off here at west fourth i get off at west fourth i get in the middle of the street and it's the scariest thing in the world i started hearing bells like like it sounded like it was like sirens going off my vision conked out on me i could not get my balance and this, I guess this older lady that must have, another person that was a regular that saw me, I could feel her like yanking me out the street. And she's like, you know, she, I can feel her and I can hear her kind of muffling. What, what's wrong? You know, I need to call an ambulance. I somehow convinced her that I was okay. 
I'm trying not to panic. I'm one of those people that don't like people seeing my anxiety attacks. And I was like, this is just an anxiety attack. It was in denial. I'm like, this is just an anxiety attack. I get to the front door of the restaurant that I was working at. And that's the last thing I remember. I remember waking up in ER. My husband is there. I remember seeing some of my staff members and they're just crying over me like I was a corpse. And, you know, like people like, like, what happened? Like, I mean, like, these are like, these are not like small guys. Like I'm talking about a dude that's like six foot three and he is just weeping over me. Boo-hoo and chef, you got to take better care of yourself. And this, this, and this, like these guys are like my extended family. Like I love my, my kitchen crew. Um, they pulled everybody out the room and they said, hey, you know, Miss Snell, Mrs. Snell, can we talk to you for a minute? Because I have a background in social work, I was just like, why is this, you know, this therapist in the room? And they're like, you know, can you tell us a little bit about your eating habits and your workout habits? Before I knew it, he's like, you do know that you're kind of, you're, you're, you're kind of, a, you're anorexic. And I was like, no, there's no way. I'm like, because these are the things that I had to debunk and take out the stereotypes in my head. You know, nothing personal to any of my, um, the, any of the listeners on here that, um, but I'm pretty sure you've heard these stereotypes as well. Most times, especially as a, a woman of color, when I see advertisements about eating disorders, it is usually focused on then white women. You don't really hear about the eating disorders from the male perspective. And you definitely don't hear about eating disorders from people of color because we tend to keep it to ourselves because we've been conditioned to be that way, that you don't get outsiders in your business. Um, you don't see us on advertisements. So the last thing I thought was this, you know, to me, in my head, I was just like, I'm 165 pounds, not not this plus size person having an eating disorder. That's that's non-existent. Yeah. Um, it was life changing. That I just remember. I don't remember all of the elements of what happened that day. I just remember how scared I was when they told me, like, "Hey, you're gonna die." I I felt like for a whole year, I fought so hard to get my life back. And I did. And despite hearing from people, oh, you know, you need to eat a burger. Um, that wasn't the hardest things I've gone through. I'm like, here I am. I got, you know, I got parts of my life back. I still had these, you know, these horrible, um, you know, conditions, but they were manageable. I got this, this faith of, I can get my life back. And now they're telling me, if you keep this up, you won't make it to next year. That was enough for me to change my whole perspective. Um, it wasn't overnight. When you are conditioning your body to eat 1,200 calories, it is hard to even make that jump to 14, then to 1,600, then to 1,800. I had to scale back um, very close to marathon day. I had to scale back um, how many days a week I was running because I was burning off more calories than I was actually taking in. I had to condition my mindset to say food is not a punishment. My fat is not a punishment. It's, how, it's, it's how? hard. I mean, how was that relationship? Because you're a chef. I mean, yeah. like the 1200 calories couldn't have tasted great. And no. did you feel like you were, I don't know, like selling your soul there. <laughs> like yeah. you're a chef and you're forcing yourself to eat like probably just kind of bland, you the, know. The closest thing that I got to flavor is when I was working in the kitchen. In the kitchen, like uh, what we encourage in the culinary industry, um, unless you're allergic to it um, or you have like a religious practice or whatever, um, what we encourage is you taste your food, you taste the dishes as you go. Realistically, I would work anywhere from eight to 12 or 14 hours a day, sometimes six days a week. You know, I would barely see my family. And when you're in a rush of things, it is very easy to forget that you haven't had a meal. Um, 
I literally was tasting the food, and that was probably most of my meals, was tasting the food as I go. So I got a little bit of flavor, and I didn't feel guilty about it because I'm at work. But when I was off work, everything was super bland. Like, I would cook all these flavorful meals. Like, I didn't put my family through this. I would cook all these flavorful meals for my family. And I would just say, okay, I can have broccoli, but we're not going to put no salt on it. Um, You know? Right. <laughs> that's <laughs> you know? torturous, right? There. Yeah, that's, that's torture. Like, I mean, and I mean, I'm a person that loves green veggies, but I literally would like, I, I reduce myself down to if it has too much flavor, then it's bad for me. If it screams like it's junk food, it's bad for me. And because, you know, I would make these dishes pop so much. Like, I mean, because I, I did food photography for a bit. So I know how to style a plate or two and make it look appealing. And I was still able to document it. People were like, wow, look at these dynamic dishes. They didn't realize I wasn't eating this. My family was eating this or my customers were eating this. I'm not touching this like one bit, you know? Um, so in a sense, it was like, I was lying to these people um, for a bit. So they wouldn't be concerned. And they're like, oh my God, look at that weight loss. And when you have people celebrating that weight loss, Nothing's wrong until somebody tells you, yeah, um, you're killing yourself with this weight loss. Um, it was one hell of an adjustment to say food is not my enemy. Um, and I think that's really what kind of uh, made me really want to call my my blog Running Fat Chef. Like, Because I didn't know what I was going to name it when I actually got talked into this. But that's really why I stick with the, word, with the, the term, run, the, the pseudonym, um, Running Fat Chef. And when people ask me, are you going to change that if you lose like 100 pounds? And I'm like, no, it's still going to be running fat chef. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still training. I mean, same thing. It's it becomes kind of part of who you are. I like it. I think it's you're multi-talented. And uh, I want to hear more about the first part of running fat chef. I want to hear more about your running. So when you when you modified your diet and realized that. Uh, you were, you know, battling anorexia and, and starving yourself and it was affecting your training. I mean, yeah. how, how did the remainder of marathon training go for you? And I want to hear about your first race and the toys signed up for a few races this year. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear about that. And then I got to hit Havelina too. So we got, yeah. We got a six-hour episode here, right? Exactly. No, we're not going to keep you in for six hours, guys. (laughs) But no, it's um, like you know, like uh, when it came down to my first marathon, um, that was the most most humbling experience. Uh, It didn't help. Like there were so many layers to me at that time. Twenty fifteen was a rough year. Uh, I was also battling alcoholism. Like sometimes in the culinary industry, that goes hand in hand. There was a lot of depression going on during that time. Um, my husband and I were kind of like arguing like cats and dogs. Um, you know, it just comes with marriage. I've been with this man for 18 years of my life, been married to him for 12. You know, it's going to be some days that you're going to wake up and be like, oh, you know what? I could really stab you with a fork, not a knife <laughs> because I love you, but, you know, um, but just enough to make it hurt. You know, <laughs> it was just a really rough period um, where, we were at each other's throats. I was depressed because I wasn't home. And I started leaning towards the bottle. And I was just like, all right, you know, I, my my 2015 set me back so much and taught me so much in that year um, because there was just as many highs as there were lows. Um, so that first marathon was rough because I remember reaching about mile 19 or 20 and I can smell the alcohol, even though I didn't have any alcohol that day. 
it was like I was sweating out alcohol. And it is the hardest thing in the world when you won, never did a marathon a day in your life. Pressure, no pressure. I mistakenly signed up for a half marathon back in New York the next day. Um, the day, the, yeah, that was a rough one. That's when I realized I was really good for ultras. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I didn't realize that the rock and roll DC marathon had a five and a half hour cutoff. Um, yeah. And I was just like, I don't even know how fast I'm going to make it. That is literally like the fastest marathon I ever did. Like usually people progressively get faster. <laughs> you yeah, just I, right out of the gates. Yeah. Like I got right <laughs> out of the gate. I was just like five forty-seven twenty-nine. Like, you know, nice. like, yeah. And now I have not been able to touch that since I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely trying, you know, um, but uh, that first marathon taught me more than just to run. It taught me a lot of mental lessons and a lot of mental grit that I have. I had ugly tears on the course. I've had the snot, you know, I, <laughs> you know, I knew I learned what the, you know, what the being in the back of the pack actually felt like, you know, to have somebody say, Hey, um, you're about to get pulled off the course if you don't get faster. And thankfully I was fast enough then to be able to run it. You know, right now I'll probably be completely booted off the course at mile six, <laughs> um, you know, with the paces that I have now, but it taught me more than just the spirit of, you know, you have to get it done for a medal. It taught me, it gave me a great foundation to what I kind of advocate now, you know, celebrate the joy of running, the joy of movement. Um, and that was enough to get me to do New York City Marathon that same year. Uh, and that felt even more better because I actually took myself away from drinking so much alcohol. I will admit, I tell people in a heartbeat, especially with a, um, with a social work background, if you need AA, definitely do it. Um, I never did it. Uh, I'm definitely not shy of actually attending a meeting. Um, if I ever felt like, you know, my alcoholism actually got to a level where I couldn't control or I get that deep in my depression where I start leaning on the bottle again, I'm very careful about how much I drink now. Um, mm -hmm. like it's, it, it has to be like, I literally only keep wine really in this house and probably a beer too. Um, I'm terrified about keeping heart liquor around me. Because I don't want to lean on that and go back into it, like you know, in, in your it's head. a good practice. I mean, why have it there if if it's uh, an outlet that you can't yeah. control? And I I haven't heard anyone say AA really was like a horrible program. You know, I haven't heard like, <laughs> uh, like a, you know, like no. if you need it, it's there. Like, it. yeah, it's probably within driving distance of wherever you are. Oh, man, there's so many like, you know, I think that we don't utilize a lot of the social services that we have afforded to us, especially as a New Yorker. I, I know that there's a lot of services out here that's um, that's available to me. So if I ever needed it, it's definitely here. But I literally let that serve. Like, I, I want to say that it that running has helped my my level of thinking a lot more clearer. I don't listen. I realize I know what the most negative feedback can actually do to a person so it makes it easier when i actually do get some type of heckling or you know why are you so fat i'm like um i'm thankful for this weight <laughs> because i have a pulse still you know um because if i would have kept up with that 1200 calorie diet in 2015 we wouldn't be doing this podcast right now you know right. maybe i'd be in somebody's clinic maybe i'd be buried or cremated you know um i'm thankful every morning i wake up whether i'm in pain or not I'm thankful for it. But um, the New York City Marathon was a lot better and a lot smoother um, than uh, the the Rock and Roll DC because I had more of a time limit. I think like 
New York City Marathon is like an eight-hour cutoff. Um, I think I finished that one in like six hours and 42 minutes. Nice. Because I gave myself a little bit more time, like a little bit more wiggle room. I'm like, be easy. It's New York City taking the scenes. There's not a marathon in the world that can match New York City. And it's not because I'm a New Yorker. It's just no, the it's, crowd. It's amazing. It looks amazing. I want to do it so bad. Do it, man. Like if you ever get my, in, like hey, my dad. My dad got in this year. I've I've applied twice and got declined twice. And uh, no, I gotta. I'll find a way in November yes. to get out there somehow. I don't know how yet, but I feel like I'll be there running next to him. So, yes. I I mean, so that was your second marathon or third? That was my second marathon, and then um, somehow uh, the way I got into ultras was I was so much on a high from that New York City marathon, not even like a day or two later, <laughs> I saw on a website they had this New York Road Runner Knickerbocker 60K. And yeah, I'm like, cool. what's an, I was like, what's wrong with another 11 miles? It can't be that bad. So here I am. <laughs> never trained Classic. for an ultra. <laughs> never trained for an ultra day in my life. And I'm like, I'm going to go out here and do this road ultra. And I went out there, and I, I, it was good, like the first 29 miles. But as soon as I came out the porta potty, it was like I flushed all of my confidence yeah. with it. And I was just like, what the hell am I doing out here? I still remember one of my best friends seeing me out there because I told him, like, hey, I'm going to probably need, you know, some type of support. I'm probably going to need a familiar face, and my family will come in a little bit later. And he came out there, and he's like, hey, buddy. And I'm like, get the hell away from me. I hate everyone. <laughs> and he's like, whoa. Like, you know, he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, why did I sign up for this? I remember going through the cold chills and everything. Like, I got to the finish line in nine hours. 47 minutes and 22 seconds. Like, I'm a really stickler for numbers, if you haven't noticed. Um, <laughs> so, nine hours, 47 minutes, 22 seconds. I get to the finish line, and I'm like, yes, I get to get that belt buckle. They ran out. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, I'm wobbling I'm, in pain. And that's I'm like, horrible. I'm like, but where the hell is my belt buckle? Oh, God. <laughs> They gave, they gave it to me like um, a month and a half later, but it doesn't have that same effect ever since, um, when it comes to your first. Ever since that RD now overbuys belt buckles by like 40. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, like the economics have just fallen out since uh, you're, I mean, you, that had to be emotional. Like you just it put was. yourself through an amazing ultra <laughs> and, yeah. and there's no belt buckle, but there's no belt buckle. I mean, when you like, when you finish that, did you mentally just break through a wall? Like, did you start to realize something new there, or or were well, you just that, done? Like, I realized that I was like, I'm not, I'm never doing an ultra a day in my life. I was in <laughs> such denial. Like, I, I realized the more that I denied, I'm ever going to do this again. I always tell myself this. Like, even with the hundred k last year, well, how about the hundred, um, hundred k? I was just like. Why would I ever subject myself to doing it just for me to sign up again this year to do a hundred miler? Like, and what was I don't I don't understand. Like, I think there's something neurologically wrong with us ultra runners. Where, <laughs> <laughs> like, we just we we sign up for these torturous things, but uh, like I, I make fun of it, but I, I I know my purpose and why I do it. I love um, seeing how far I can go because six years ago. I didn't think that I can actually walk from one end of the block to the next end of the block and actually say that that's, that's something that makes me happy. Um, when I get to a rough point, whether it's mile nine or mile 54, and I'm doing these races, 
even in those hard moments, I can actually say to myself, you're a badass. Um, you, you can do this. You're, you're pushing past, you know, your wildest dreams. These are things that I never thought I would ever aspire about or geek out about. And now I can't. I get to set this example to my son. Like more than anything, when I couldn't set that example to myself, I think about my kid. He's a 12-year-old. Um, he's a hormonal um, 12-year-old. So I never know if he's going to be happy with me. Um, <laughs> you know, like, you know, he's like, mom, just leave me alone. And then all of a sudden he's like loving me up. And like, this is just like a weird relationship. Um, <laughs> you know, but uh, the, the, the year, the, the, the crazy thing that I, I say that 2015 was a hard year because that same year he was um, diagnosed with type 1. And I was in the middle of training for my second marathon because um, I, I trained really early. Like I started in July um, with my training. He was diagnosed on July 3rd. It was exactly a month before his birthday. So we spent July 4th in the hospital. And they're like, you know, he has type 1 diabetes. And I'm like, how? You know, because I was very ignorant about mm-hmm. like, and I, and I I'm not openly say I was very ignorant about type 1 diabetes. All I knew about was type 2. Like, and type 2 is things that you hear about, oh, it's associated with weight or it's associated with sweets. And I'm like, this child don't like chocolate like that. Like, I cook really healthy. I, yeah. I pride myself on cooking healthy meals. And I was just like, what You're I blaming yourself. Food? Yeah. And they're like, no, this is not how it works. Like, you know, his pancreas doesn't work. And I'm like, well, wouldn't I know that, you know, when he came out? And they're like, no, sometimes it doesn't surface. Even sometimes people don't don't find out about these conditions until they're well off into an adulthood. Um, and it set me on a low. So everything that I do now for is first to inspire him and myself over and over and over again to say you are stronger than the, the, the diagnosis that you've been handed. You are stronger than somebody's opinion of you. You are stronger than your darkest thoughts. That if you can just see yourself metaphorically, your life is a marathon. If you can just make it past the first mile or the first step, if that's all you have in you today, that is an accomplishment. Of, of running a mile, like when I get these messages online and people are like, oh, I only ran three miles. And I'm like, stop saying only three miles. I know. You ran I, three miles. I get those too. It drives me nuts. And <laughs> and what's even weirder is like both of us are putting in miles during training and then we're even saying it sometimes not even thinking about it. Yeah. Because our norm shifts. I always feel really guilty about saying like – you know, I, I got in at only a 5k at lunch or whatever. And then like, I get weird looks and <laughs> I, I feel bad though at the same yeah. time. Um, but yeah, I totally relate to that. Um, yeah. I mean, the fact that you finished Haviland a hundred K last year is unbelievable. We have wow. so much in common. It's just amazing. If you looked at, at me and you, most people would think we have nothing in common, right? <laughs> you know, right. like just we're from different parts of the country. Right. I mean, everything about us is different, but we have so much in common. Like we both had really hard 15s and could hardly run. And we both probably lost roughly the same amount of weight yeah. and found, I think you meditate, right? You said yeah, yoga is not your thing, but you... Yeah, no, yoga is definitely my thing. Yoga um, and oh, meditation is, is okay. definitely, yeah, and meditation I do because um, I think I have an undiagnosed AD, um, HD, and that's not me even being funny. I really think that there I – There you um, go. One, yeah. one more box to check for us in common. <laughs> 
Yeah, like, I mean, I couldn't tell. Like, my brain can go from here to here to here um, at any given time. Um, but when I do active meditation, because I'm one of those people that can't yes. sit still. Yeah. Um, it, it really keeps my marbles in check and it totally. stops me from doing so much negative self-talk. So can you run and meditate? Like, do you hit flow at yes. all? You do? Yeah, like, um, I, I strongly encourage, like, um, I'm not sure if anybody's actually looked into it, but if people want to look into, um, I think I forgot what it's called. It's like a running meditation. Um, you're like, you're not completely zoning out to the point, because you don't want to really do that on the trail. Um, you're like, oh, okay, you know, I'm just going to empty my brain, and you empty your brain into a rock being in front of your face. Like, <laughs> how did you get there? You know, um, it is very easy for me to do it on the track or on the yeah. road. Even, and I did actually did it during Havelina, even though, you know, I was thinking about the cacti and the snakes. Um, <laughs> Things that's Those not are plush trails. So. Yeah, you know, so it was very easy, especially as a person that was, you know, DFL. Um, for miles, you know, um, you get that, you get to that place of peace. You have to really calm down your thinking and your breathing because it's very easy to take your brain into the craziest of places when you're running that long. Um, I've gone from thinking about the grocery list to just <laughs> focusing on my breath. You know, yeah, then, yeah. then the then the breath is not enough, and I'm thinking about something that's making me a little manic at the time because I, I openly tell people I deal with moderate level depression, um, and I remember during Havelina, I came across that I think it was the second loop, because um, the first loop really threw me in for a loop, um, a literal loop. <laughs> yeah. Um, the first loop is like what twenty two miles, if I'm correct, for Havelina. Yeah, I think I, so. Yeah, and it's I a just, tough end too. Like that it's, climb, and oh it's techy. God, I hated it. I, I <laughs> that first loop is something I'm not looking forward to because it was a. Um, I kept thinking to myself, if I was doing a marathon, I'd be done in four miles. And I was like, what kind of torture did I sign myself up for? Um, my friend, my good friend and ultra runner buddy, Myrna Valerio, is the person who talked me into this, <laughs> and. I was screaming her name, and I'm like, damn you, Myrna Valerio. How the hell did I let you talk again to this? Um, I didn't know about Havelina until Myrna Valerio. Um, it was before her book actually got published. Like, she's like, hey, buddy, um, you're one of the most blunt people I know. She's like, um, be some. She's like, I'm sensitive about my stuff, um, but I would love for you to review my book. And I remember her first two chapters. It was about the enabler. That's what she called her chapter, the enabler. And she technically became my enabler for, <laughs> for ultra running. I enjoyed her book. It was good. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah it, it's really good. Like, I mean, I was able to, like, the crazy part is people would think that her and I have more in common. And honestly, I would say, no, we're kind of like, sometimes we're like polar opposites. Like, she has this, like, crazy background of speaking, like, five languages and, you know, this experience of going to Juilliard and, like, you know, she graduated <laughs> college. And I'm like, no, that's not my background. Like, my background is kind of sketchy, you know? <laughs> I mean, you want to know something really weird? When I go on Instagram and I like some of your stuff, I swear to God, her stuff pops up, like, following it. Um <laughs> And I'm, I'm like, come on, Instagram. Like, this is putting me in an awkward position. Like, that's not how I think. Like, right. yeah, you're both, you know, 
the same person. And we and we've had a joke about this. I mean, it's it's a terrible, but it's a stereotypical joke. But it's something that really does happen to us. Where even in Havelina, I had people come up to me and like this lady started crying. I'm sorry if you're listening to the podcast, mom. Don't worry, I won't put your name out there. But um, I'm on a trail. I'm like, this is about like 20. So it was before I got delirious. And this lady came up to me and she's like, Oh my god, I just loved your REI video and you're oh, no. so inspiring. And I was just like, and I grabbed her hand and I said, and I stopped. I literally stopped and I said, sweetheart, I'm not that black woman. And she's like, she's like, no, 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 no. I didn't mean it like that. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm just messing with you. Don't worry about it. I'm like, but I really am not that black woman. And I was like, it's cool. And she's like, you're the chef lady. And I'm like, yeah, that's close enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, we get it so much. I mean, how like, how does it feel? Um, lining up, you know, being, hey, you you have so many things that are like atypical, yet I find super inspiring. I I love it, but yeah. how does it feel, you know, showing up at the start line, um, being a little bit bigger, uh, black female, like yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you want company in, um. Yeah. And it's not because I'm scared. Like it, it used to be. Like in um in the beginning, it was super intimidating to look around, especially when I like um not just in um ultra running, but in obstacle course racing. Like that's an yeah. environment yeah. where if you think that ultra running community is very limited in diversity, um <laughs> go to an obstacle course race, go to a Spartan race, and you realize how little women are out there in that course. And when you add in you know, plus size African American woman with a potty mouth. Um, <laughs> you're kind of a lone stranger out there. There I mean, is plus. I haven't like, done one of those, but I would feel uncomfortable because I'd be wearing a shirt. I can't even imagine. I mean, so I I can't imagine you being heckled at ultras. Oh my god! No, like, it's... the community. We're all outcasts. Like yeah. we do look very very white i would say um but we're all outcasts i would say and that's we're like the most accepting community we all every person that runs has issues i mean every person has issues um but have you felt that love of like the ultra running community yeah um you know it's crazy i feel more love in the ultra running community than i do in the road community um, and it's kind of sad because a lot of my roots come from like, you know, like my running roots come from being on the roads. You know, I mean, New York City, that's what's really accessible to me, especially as a person, a 34 year old without a driver's license, which I should be embarrassed. Um, <laughs> but I, I run with the idea of I'm a New York City girl. So most times we don't need a car for most things. But as a person that loved the trails, it is kind of sickening that I have to wait for someone else to kind of take me there or I have to jump on the Metro North. Mm-hmm. What I do admire about the ultra running community is that we don't have to look the same. We don't have to have the same body type. What I do find is that we don't have, most of us don't have the stereotypically lean body type on a trail. And it's we true. have much more patience um, with the run, it's like it'll be done when we're when we're, when we're actually done with it. Not I have to make this time limit, this crucial time limit. The community is much smaller. Um, so versus like you know like when you go to New York City Marathon, there's like fifty two thousand people out there in the course. When you're going to uh, you know an <laughs> ultra you know trail, you're talking about a thousand people maybe tops. You know maybe two thousand. That's like the that's like the biggest races in the world. Yeah, right. Yeah, like yeah. you're not seeing the that local huge, ones. 
oh yeah, it's yeah. much smaller. Yeah. You know, and it's so much more of a community feel that I just love that we're we're close and we don't have to know each other. I told people the most TMI stories on the trails. Oh, totally. Um, yeah. That I don't have to worry about going back to someone like in the press, like do you remember that time that she talked about her sexual relations? Like, oh, you know, like, oh, I'm like, hey, I got to deny, deny, deny. No. <laughs> you know, like, I don't have to worry about that. With, um, with the ultra running community, I feel safe, even though I am alone, you know, when it comes down to that, um, that body composition and having in the fact that I'm not only a plus size, you know, African-American woman on the trails, I'm a plus size bisexual um, woman on the trails and I don't feel like I'm being harshly judged. Now, it might be somebody out there that might be judging me, but they don't come to me and say it, you know, uh, versus like online, online, they make you hear it. Like, you know, how dare you, especially people who don't understand our community um, and they associate everything with, with what they know about running to road running. And I'm like, they're, they're two different worlds. You can do a 26.2 and six hours and 30 minutes, but you do that 26.2 on the trails and you're out there for eight to nine hours. Um, There's so many things that differentiate the two, but I love how, even though I can be an outcast, we're all kind of like rebels in this. Um, We are. That's that's a common bond. We're all outcasts. We're, we're a group outcasts. We think it's this giant community because we're, all in the same little swimming pool, but right. yeah, it's still a swimming pool. It's not even a lake or <laughs> anything. It's such a small little niche community. We all yeah. know each other. I mean, everybody knows everybody. It was yeah. kind of tricky. Like after Havelina, I was like, I'm not going to find that guy that I was pooping next to on the trails. And he sent me a friend request and I was like, holy <laughs> crap. <laughs> holy crap. <laughs> that was, <laughs> um, so, I mean, before I move on, but, your chef background, when you're going to like a javelina and you're looking over an aid station, what's oh. uh like what's your go to as a sh- with your you know yeah with your, my your culinary I, background? <laughs> I'm looking for everything sodium. Um, oh, okay, broth has been a lifesaver. Like I was just like I didn't get it when I um when I did my first road ultra. I'm like, why the hell would they have chicken broth? And then <laughs> my I got delirious around. Loop six. I mean, I'm talking about my road ultra. My low, like, um, like the temperature yeah. had dropped, and somebody kept pushing this whole chicken broth thing, and I was just like, I don't want to taste this, and it tastes like the best thing in the world. Like I always describe food as sex. Like that's like the that's like, I'm like yes. Like that's the way I describe it. I'm like, this is like the sexiest thing that I ever puts in my mouth. Like I have to have some type of broth, whether it's veggie broth. <laughs> I have or- not thought of chicken broth that way. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know that's a first. Is. Yeah, but definitely, it's definitely a first. Like, it's just, like, one of those things, like, what it is with chicken broth, like, it just brings you back to life. Like, you just, you come there to the A station like a zombie, and you're, like, yeah. drooling, and you're like, uh, I feel like crap, I can't go on. And you take, like, two cups of chicken broth, and it just brings you right back to life. Can I, I like... Can I tell you something? Yeah. All, you need to qualify for some UTMB-type races, because yeah. they have, like, a whole plethora of, of distances out there. Yes. And... I did CCC last year, oh and I joke that I just did it for um, soup tastings in different countries. <laughs> you, you of all people, would love it. You would love yeah. it. 
Um, I was out there last year, but I was a correspondent last year. You, um, have you thought yeah. about trying to do one of those races? I mean, I know you probably have. You're out there. I mean, yeah. Is um, don't get me wrong. Um, European trails scared the hell out of me. Um, European trails are just like up. Like there's no break. Um, like with the Euro trails. Like I went um up Mount what is it Mount Bravant. Mm-hmm. Um, when I did the ultra, what was it? Um, I was doing the correspondence for Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc. Um, and I was like doing uh, a lot of the coverage for UTMB for the TDS, the CCC, and I was like, yeah, I, I would love I to do. Know this. that I'm embarrassed. That's no, awesome. That's so awesome. Like, no, I mean, no, I literally like uh, I told myself I'm out here in France. Like I got, um, I was like, I got to do something like really epic. It was thanks to Hoka Oni Oni. It was before I got with them. Um, and it was like, hey, we would love to invite you on this trip. And we know that you write, you know, for different platforms. Like I had just did an article for Runners World, you know, basically just, um, you know, talking about my personal experience of being heckled and, you know, all these different things. And I started like, you know, making my way around and I started getting, a little bit comfortable with being in the public eye. Um, I'm still kind of brand spanking new to all this, but it was like, this would be a great experience. You know, would you like to actually do any type of coverage on the guys here? And I'm like, I get to talk to all these dope ultra runners. Like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, that tent was ridiculous. (laughs) Like the Hoka, the Hoka tent was just like outlandish there. Um, It's crazy. It's so cool that you're out there. Yeah, it was so that tent was so big, I completely forgot that Columbia was the sponsor. <laughs> what <laughs> they were? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. That were, was the shirt I got. Yeah, that was a really nice shirt too. <laughs> yes, it was. Like I, I shouldn't be admitting that. I love you, Hoka. I love you, Hoka. I love you, Hoka. But, uh, yeah. but <laughs> I think I think you're only going to grow. I so get ready. Get used to being in the public eye even more. I mean. I, it's pretty safe to say that after you were on the Today Show, like, what was it, last yeah. week or whatever? But or was it last week or was it earlier this no, week? It was this, it was this week. I, like, I, I get my dates. I didn't even know what today's date was. Yeah. Um, I remember waking up yesterday and I'm like, so I was like, crap, today's Thursday? And he's like, <laughs> yeah, where have you been? And I'm like, you got to understand. I've been, like, traveling all over. Like, I'm talking to my husband. I'm like, I've been traveling all over the place. Like, right now, I don't even want to think about my calendar. Um, yeah. Tell, like, me, I, I, tell me more about that. Tell oh me, tell me more about how someone signs up for thirty-five. Is it marathons and ultras or races? And it's a it's and, a mixture of things. So I have like I have a minimum of fourteen marathons this year. Um, most of them are road. I have I, I'm the psychopath that decided that I was going to sign up for Havelina Hundred and do the New York City Marathon six days later. You know, just because I did great. it last year. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah, I'll come. Like, I'll, you can come join me and my dad at uh, New York City Marathon. Yes, yes it'll be home, so it, it, I'll definitely. You know, <laughs> I can join you hopefully. Yeah. yeah, you know, I'll have sore feet. You know, um, yes, it'll be seriously. a little bit slower. You know, but um, it's gonna be fun. Like I, I, I can't miss New York City for the world. Like even I will walk twenty six point two miles in New York City if I have to, just because I love that race so much. But like um. My calendar this year is taking me, I think I'm at 40, I'm going to be doing 41 races, maybe 42 um, this year. Uh, it doesn't help that I am doing my first powerlifting competition, like completely off running. Like just, I just do a powerlifting competition like a monkey engineer, and I've only been training for it for like six weeks. Yeah. And you like I'm, biking, right? Yeah. I'm like, I'm doing my first duathlon this Sunday. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
like because people are like what is wrong with you you're like like some kind of like my um I'll t- it's a, it's my- a- it's an extreme personality. That's yeah. that's what attracts me to you. That's why I'm talking to you. Yeah, like, I love it. I love like, it. It's I, awesome. You know, so, <laughs> too many people box themselves. They, you know, they, they they box themselves and they say, "Yes, I feel safe here. This is where I want to stay." And I'm one of those people that's like, "Yes, this feels safe. Let's get dangerous." I you know? <laughs> I freak out. It, once I start feeling safe, I'm like, "Shit! I only you only live once. Like right. enough of the safety stuff. Like." Like we need to either push our limits or change it up or do something. Like I can't stand that feeling of of Being like assessment. yeah yeah. Um, it's it's not so. I mean, but it's forty two races this year. Geez. You know, I, I think that my entire approach since twenty thirteen was to take chances, live big, and live loud. And you know, I mean, when I when I dealt with my fear of dealing with heights, I jumped out of a perfectly good airplane, even though I'm claustrophobic and I didn't know how I would feel about flying. Um, you know, any typical person would say, go on a roller coaster. When I got to Mount Bravant, I literally had to, like, I, I will admit, I got a little tipsy with the wine in France. And I said, you know what? I feel like paragliding. And the guy looked at me and I'm like, am I actually at the weight limit? And he touches my arm and he says, hmm, you look okay. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I'm down for it. I'm like, I can't do this in the States. In the States, I would be overweight um, to do any type of paragliding. Or they would charge me extra to actually do it. That's, and, uh, and that's, that's literally shitty. the... Yeah, it, it sucks. I mean, just some of it comes with a safety um, issue of, you know, what if something happens, you know, oh, um, yeah. because of the weight limit. And then there's yeah. just, you know, discriminatory practices because the, the U.S. kind of sucks sometimes. You know, um I look at these races, you know, and these adventures, like as the things I don't, I don't just box myself in to saying that I'm a runner. I am an adventurer. I love seizing the moment. I don't look to kind of like, you know, play with death, but I'm looking to basically embrace YOLO. Um, I, I hated yeah. that term. But you only live once yeah. and you don't know when your book is going to run out of pages. So if you live life every day, not so much as if it's your last, but if you live life as if your next day is going to take you into this new adventure and you have the opportunity to take that pen and write it and narrate it the way that you want to, how would you want your book to be written? How would you want your book to be read if somebody picked it up? Um, And that's the way that I look at my life. Like at 34 years old, I'm just like, I can't wait to see what 70 looks like. I can't wait to see what 80 looks like. I'm hoping I make it a 90 and I'm still running, you know, and I'm geriatric and I got like facial hair out the ass, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like, yeah, I'm still out here kicking your ass. You know, like I'm hoping and embracing and looking for that moment um, that I can look back at life and say, I've done everything that I wanted to without regrets. I love it. Um, And just to, to try to to focus in at the uh the end here and i want to stay in touch and i want to hear more about your javelina 100 oh yeah definitely um, you can't get rid of me then <laughs> maybe maybe i'll give you the uh race recap there if you want to touch base after it i want to hear about it um wanna- tell me i mean because i i think you're growing and you're only going to grow how you handle, I mean, I want to talk social media for like five minutes just to yes. finish this because the in-person conversation we had was really fascinating. But um, I've, I've seen this with one or two other people prior and I'm like, man, your biggest challenge is going to be learning to say no because you're going to have so many opportunities on the horizon. Right. You know, it's going to be tough when you get that free race and Europe yeah. or wherever, like, you know, you're going to have to start being a little 
a little picky because man, yes. your opportunities are going to be off the charts. Yeah, it's definitely like I mean, in a matter of a year, um, my opportunities, the things that have been thrown at me, um, have been insane, and I literally had to learn how to say no since January. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, you know, like I've had people that's like, hey, um why don't you come to this race? Don't worry about it. It's, you know, it's free. And I'm like, uh, sorry, I'm already signed up for this race this weekend. And they're like, oh, well, you know, what's the extra, you know, what's the extra 10 miles? I'm like, it's an extra 10 miles that I don't need. And that's, that's one of the hardest things that I see in this industry. Um, that sometimes we don't know how to pull back and say no. You know, we kind of brag about running on injuries. Um, or we brag about, you know, I threw up eight times in the course. That's not okay. Like there's there's nothing okay about that. Like I don't want the one thing I don't want to promote is for people to burn both ends of the candle um, and then celebrate that. Like instead, I want us to know our limits because as much as I am an adventurer and I am I do a lot of crazy things and I do a lot of extreme things, I do think these things out. I think to myself like even with Havelina, I thought about it and I'm like, there's a possible there's a, a heavy chance that I may not make it to the end. And I have to make that peace with myself and say, you know what, regardless of what I put out there, I'm going to give it my all. But if I feel like my health or anything is going to be compromised, I have to get past that ego and not get caught up on all these people on social media is looking at me or I have all this press around me. So now I can't fail and I'm willing to jeopardize the next year or two or even my entire life. Exactly. For this one moment, it's very easy when you're in the public eye to get caught up on, I'm only as good as the last thing I've done. And for me, I'd rather set the example of, it is okay to say no. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, And I mean, how do you, how do you feel going into a hundred mile event? I mean, I know you're, you're, learning to deal with the high probability of failure. Yeah. I mean, you never want to fail, you know, and you never do. Like you never want to, like, I don't walk in and say, I woke up, brushed my teeth. And now I'm looking forward to, to being a DNF. Like you, you, you just don't, like, I don't think there's anybody in the world that wakes up and actually says, I'm looking forward to being kicked off the course. <laughs> um, you yeah. know, unless you're in that much pain and you're looking for um, a cop out for me, um, it would have hurt. I'm not even going to lie. Like every time I like, I mean, I'm, I'm not a stranger to being pulled off the course early and saying, Hey, you know what? Um, like it's happened to me probably about three or four times where like in Tokyo, that was um, something that I actually kind of saw coming because I knew the gun time, like they go according to gun time versus going according to the time that you actually started racing. Tokyo had a seven hour cutoff, but they also had multiple cutoffs in Tokyo where there's like, and they pulled me at 6.2. And I missed that because I had a bathroom break. And the bathroom, like, as well organized as Tokyo was, the bathrooms were brutal. Like, the lines were, like, 10 minutes long. And I was like, yeah, I'm running faster than I typically do. I haven't ran this fast in a long time. Like, I was able to maintain 11 and a half to 12-minute miles in Tokyo. And next thing I knew... That sucks. I missed it by 31 seconds. And I, I was broken for about... I'm going to say for about two minutes, I was broken. And then I heard someone crying next to me. I mean, like she was full blown crying to the point where she was getting herself sick. And for some reason, everything in my heart was just like, pick this woman up off the ground so she can still have her dignity. Because I, I, I know what it feels like to have that first DNF. 
it, nobody was there for me when I had that first DNF. That first DNF, I suffered that alone. And it was like the most heartbreaking thing in the world. I felt like I couldn't recover from it. And I felt like maybe I'm placed in this position right now. And I got pulled off this course because I was supposed to be here for that particular person. I ended up bonding with this woman from America, like out of all places. Like, I'm like, oh, great. You know, I bond with the American, you know, and I'm picking up off the ground. And I'm like, honey, you're going to get better. She's like, I'm never going to do a marathon again. And I'm like, no, you are going to do a marathon again because you're going to look for your redemption. That's how I come to peace with these things before any race, whether it's a one miler to a hundred miles. I look at all of these races with the possibility that anything can happen. The moment that you get arrogant or cocky and think that you are some exception to the rule is the day that you will be handed your ass. Totally. Um, You got to respect the distance or whatever. Respect the distance, respect the pavement, respect the road. Mm -hmm. Understand that these things can happen to any of us. Um, Any one thing can change your entire life. So I'm... Going into Javelina with positive thoughts, I'm going to trust my training. I'm going to trust my heart and trust my mind that hopefully I'm coherent at the finish line. (laughs) (laughs) Just keep going. I mean, if they say you missed a cutoff, talk to Jubilee before the race and just come up with a strategy that you're going to do 100 miles and don't even think about time. Just commit to doing finishing 100 miles, even if it takes longer. Just screw yeah. all that i'm sure jubilee would be understanding and jamil uh, air vipe is a very very good race company yeah and um i, I love those guys like um uh, for me it's not even about the belt buckle like i mean because a lot of people are like oh you like you're doing it for all these medals i'm like dude i'm running out of space in here <laughs> like, you know like i, I got a shoebox it's just yeah. i don't know they were so meaningful at the beginning and now they're cool they're good little like reminders of uh, more of like experiences like those friendships and that sort yeah. of thing, then like, oh, I did X amount of miles or whatever race. Yeah. But yeah, as as races get harder, the and you keep pushing your limits, the probability of failure is going to get higher and higher. And right, it's part of the it's, sweetness, it's of- the sweetness of the finish. But then it's also part of the risk of going well, in. It's extreme. Yeah, I mean, like when I when I like when I think about it, I think about I put things in perspective like this. When I did the when I did coverage at the UTMB um, last year, the thing that threw me off my rocker is I was watching all these elite runners like Jim Walmsley and you know all these like you know heavyweights get knocked out. Like I remember mm-hmm. like interviewing Magda um, Boulay, but the, the interview I don't think it ever went up. But I interviewed Magda Boulay and I was like, oh, how you feel about it? And she's like, I respect the distance. I was like, I don't run to make first place i run because i enjoy what i do and i love that and i remember seeing all these people who i would have bet money on i'm like that person's going to make first place and it was complete shocker when when you were out there on that course and you're like holy crap all of the people i would have bet on making first place didn't get um get first place like somebody i think killian um jornet got taken out by a beast thing um (laughs) Yeah, like it was just like it was a complete shocker. So these things, I think it, Tim it fell at the beginning. Like, yeah. I think it was Tim. I can't remember. It, it was, was I, that was a weird. That was a weird race. Yeah, it was but a very the weird. The weather race. was weird. Yeah. Oh, it was brutal. Like, I mean, as a spectator, it was brutal. So I can only imagine what you guys kind of went through out there. And all I kept thinking is, if this can happen to someone who's running a four minute, five minute pace, 
This can definitely happen to someone who's running the 13, 14 minute pace. And why are we beating ourselves up? Because, oh, what do you do? You don't have this piece of metal to validate who you are. I, I look at these medals as uh, story poem, storytelling um, pieces. I can look at any medal and I can tell you a story with it. I can also do the same thing with a bib. I hold on to my bibs. Like I'm that psychopath. Yes. That has, no, like, I do too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I look at it and I'm like, I remember this race. I have a, a frame sitting in my house where I have a shirt in there from one of the most horrible experiences where I was just like, this is the most mortifying thing in my life. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, why am I holding on to this shirt? But it's a complete reminder of what happened and what I survived and how I'm now living. That's what all these medals are. It's you're only, you're only a freak. If you like alphabetize your bibs or like numerically, (laughs) then, then you got some problems, but uh, I always get the best shirts pre-race shirts at my worst races so then i get to train in this freaking reminder (laughs) i just like the quality of the shirt you know like great i get to run around in a georgia death race that i dnf'd you know nine (laughs) miles before the finish um it's so terrible it always works out that way so hopefully i don't get a nice shirt at check-in because then then i don't need to worry it's a curse curse, man it's like oh man it's gonna be a terrible day (laughs) exactly and i can't wait to see what utmb race you end up picking i know you're gonna do one eventually i have to to. like it's a bucket list item now i didn't think it it was now it is make it scary and yeah the best part of those races are there are no finisher medals you get a vest and yeah walking around with a vest you have this story that's like this common bond and like you ride the bus and you meet someone with a totally different background from a country that you know sometimes you've never heard of and there's this community feel on a global scale and it's like really powerful it's really cool you know i did i didn't actually didn't know that i didn't know it was a vest and that makes it even more cool so now it is a goal. Like I don't. I don't care if I even like. Like if, I don't care if I, if I can just touch the course oh, and be able to line up with all those people exactly. and get a sense of the energy. That's a might, medal of its own. Might get points for the Havelina hundred miler, so it could work towards your goal. Yes. Yeah. So it's just a thought. But let's end with social media. There's yes. a lot of. It, what's weird to me is my training for ultra started with an Instagram account. Like it was a self motivator to get myself out to run. Mm -hmm. And so I take one picture. Sometimes I wouldn't feel like running. I get out just to get a picture posted it (laughs) and it started actually motivating people. It started very selfishly and it sounds like Instagram actually kind of kickstarted you a little bit too. Yes. Um, what, what's been your experience? Is it been mostly good? Like how can people follow you? your Instagram and how do you utilize it to inspire people? Just tell me more about, um, yeah, I know that's scattershot, uh, no. your Instagram account. Yeah, definitely. No, um, Instagram is definitely my biggest platform, um, out of everything, even though I initially started off really by posting a lot of my stuff on Facebook. Um, Instagram is what kind of like writing these really like, even to this day, I write these really long posts and people are like, this is Instagram. This is a place where we look at pretty pictures and videos. And I'm actually finding ways to force people to read. (laughs) 
through, through Instagram. People no one like, reads anymore. Ugh. Yeah, like I'm like, I'm going to make you read. I'm going to make you read. You you don't have to pick up a book, but you will pick up this post and you will read the content in here and you're going to like it. No, <laughs> no but um, Instagram is definitely not my largest platform. Like I think today, like right now, I am very close to 36,000 followers. Um, I'm not a stickler for numbers. I think that my content would still be the same if I had 5,000 um, because a lot of things haven't changed about me um, from it. But I will credit it that it was my gateway to actually creating the Running Fat Chef platform. If you do want to follow me on Instagram, it is basically www.instagram.com slash I am L I will spell that out. That's I A M L S H A U N T A Y. I am L Shantae. But um, I basically. I'll put in the show notes too. Yes. Awesome. So, like, I, I started with um, not just putting up the good moments on Instagram. Like, an Instagram. At first, I used it as a storytelling platform to say, hey, this is the run that I completed the same way as you, you know. Um, but what what irritated me with Instagram before it became like this huge discussion, like in the media, I hated that Instagram kind of set some people up for failure um, where you look at the pictures or you look at the videos and you're like you start going down this um, downward spiral of why can I not do that? Uh, and I get that a lot where people see me um, and I'll see it in the comments and I'll have to correct people really quick. And they're like, oh, my God, you're 240 something pounds and you're able to do plyo pushups. If you can do it, then I should be able to do it. I'm such a failure. And I'm like, OK, stop that. And it's like, kind of the opposite of what you're trying to do, right? Right. Yeah. Like, I don't want you to use me as your platform that you're going to beat yourself up on and say, oh, my God, boohoo, this, you know, this plus size 240 something pound you know disabled athlete is able to do these dynamic things and that means that i'm a failure no i want you to use my platform as a muse you look at it use it as a template this is what she's able to do but this is how i can use these things as a tool to make it work for me okay great i can't do plyo push-ups but she's telling me in her notes this day was crappy and you couldn't tell that because she's smiling in her picture I'm giving yeah. you a yeah. part of my inside thoughts that even if I have this smiling picture, maybe today wasn't a great day. This comes along with the journey. Sometimes Instagram is not as transparent and not as black and white as we like to say it is. I like to utilize this platform to show a little bit of humanity that we're not all just pretty pictures. You got to think about it. We're all narrating a story. And it's a story that we get to produce whatever way that we decide. So I make it as positive as possible, but I also make it as realistic as possible. So Same here. A- it's so hard. It's, it's so hard. hard to motivate and inspire yet be truthful. Yeah, because the thing is, you don't want to be a Debbie Downer and like you're going on there every day and saying, oh, my God, I just want to want to choke out the universe. And then the next day you're going up there and it's like, I'm so happy. It's like, what's wrong with this girl? Should we be concerned? But, (laughs) you know, it's I look for that balance of humanity where I'm not sugarcoating things and I'm still able to be myself. Yes, I have sponsors. You know, um, you know, there's certain things that I'll have to do. Like, you know, I might have to promote something on there, but I don't want my platform to be this huge advertisement because I see that out there too. Whereas like, you know, I've had people that came up to me, Hey, can you promote this diet pill? And I'm like, no, you can go screw yourself. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's not what I'm about. That's the beauty and the curse about this platform. It is as great as you allow it to be. You know, when people are like, Oh, I feel devastated. When I look at my Instagram account, I'm like, Hey, listen, if I don't serve you, 
that is the time to delete me or put me on mute. Yeah. You do what works for you. I like your that stories, is- by the way. Ah, thank you. I like yeah, them because is- <laughs> like I get to see your, your day almost and you're, you're not shy. You'll put up 20 stories and like right. really show your workout. You'll show like what you're cooking. Yeah. Um, I, I like that realness a lot. Um, and when, when days suck, I'm letting you know that it sucked. Like, I mean, I put up an Instagram story where I was like, Hey guys, um, did the, the, the today show. And now my voice is gone. <laughs> <laughs> now this, now this idiot from Colorado wants to talk for like, you know, an hour and 20 and. No, I love it. No, I, I, I had honey all for you, man. Like this, like, I mean, I'm getting myself better for this podcast. Man. Like, <laughs> I'm already like at 60% already. Cause I've like down like a half a bottle of honey. And I was like, I, like, I got to get myself you know, together. I, get I learned together. that trick. Okay. Uh, my diet wouldn't allow for honey for like the longest time. I was more than halfway through my audiobook recording it. When I think Scott Jurek did a post with Jenny on uh, how much that helped their throats, or I forget if someone reached out. Mm-hmm. I, I learned that trick way late in the uh, audio recording stage. No. Yeah, that was yeah. awful. That was brutal. You'll like that part of the process once uh, <laughs> once you go down that road. Um, but I, what I think is most inspiring and interesting about your Instagram is how you're open about it, but you have this you know, you're, you're pushing this body positive movement Yes. in a visual medium. Like you're making, it's almost like ultra running and signing up for this hundred. And you're like, you're putting yourself in the most uncomfortable yeah. position possible. And that's what I love. Like yeah. you're not scared not of, of putting a nude fo- like one of your photos is like oh, that oh, yeah you know like talk about just having guts especially with um everything you've overcome i i just love it i respect it a lot yeah uh, i get you know i get a lot of people just like oh you know that's so brave to to, to you know to to show your body and i'm like what well, part of it you know um you know because some people uh, like I always tell them, like, when, when people think of body positivity, you know, some people think that it's only geared towards plus size people. And I, and I, and I have to, like, change that narrative. Even with my plus size community, I'm like, this the body positivity movement is not just for plus size people. Yeah. We have to include other people into this. I'm like, I'm like, what about the person who is struggling to gain weight? Yep. Because we don't hear much of those stories. What about the male perspective? That's one of the things that actually irked me a little bit about this movement is that I don't hear much of the male perspective. Well, I'm like the LGBTQ community, that's the community I'm a part of. I am so glad that we're actually starting to tell our stories through this movement. Mm-hmm. But there are so many more stories. Like, you know, the people who... Um, who happen to have invisible disabilities like I do. Like, you know, someone will look at me and they're like, oh, no, that's just a plus size, you know, happy girl, you know, with a spotty mouth from Brooklyn. You know, (laughs) you wouldn't look at me and say she has like five or six things going on with her. You know, and then you have people who have these stories where their ailments are very visible. And then people start, you know, almost like, and I hate when people do it to me, where they're like, oh, my God, you're so inspiring for being disabled. And like, you know, and you're moving and, Sometimes it's a little contradicting to our yeah. community to, to hear that. Like, you know, oh, so you're proud of me because I'm disabled and moving? You know, we yeah. want sometimes you want to feel included without feeling like you're being outcasted in a different light because you're encountering that in your everyday life. So if, if I'm giving someone an escape 
for about five minutes or I'm giving them a mantra and something that they need to hear, then it's mission accomplished. If I piss off somebody um, just by being myself, before I used to actually curse people out. I'm going to be honest. Like, I mean, the New Yorker in me was just like, I'm going to curse you out. Now I've been scaling it back and I've been thinking about the social worker approach. And I'm like, is this really about me? And most times it's not. Um, I've I've had a guy that basically harassed me for six months straight. And I was just like, you know what? Um, I was like, dude, I tracked your IP address. You're in Jersey. Um, I'm going to actually, I was like, this is, I said, this is to a point where it's actually considered harassment. I could, you know, actually just file charges. Um, but I would rather meet you in person. I ended up finding out this guy was like, yeah, like my husband was pissed. He was like, he's like, are you out of your mind? You just met this stranger. Like, what if he would have distanced you? And I'm like, I feel like this guy needs help. (laughs) So true. Those negative comments always tell more about the person than what they're talking about. Like, yeah, but when you when you look up and you get somebody that doesn't have like an anonymous profile with no face and mm-hmm. like three followers, because um, mm-hmm. <laughs> most times it's like it's the same kind of people. They'll make like this profile that's like, like you know kind of harass people. But this guy, you know, he had legitimate following. He had a face and everything, and he, you know, he sat down with me and he said, "You represented everything that he told me I couldn't be at this size." And I was just like, "Whoa!" What's, like I was like, "That's hard." You know, so it's sometimes it's better to not name call. Like it's very easy to go, tip, you know, tit for tat. And that was my approach before. Before I used to call out every heckler. Um, now I'm thinking about it, and I'm just like, maybe this call out culture thing is not a great thing. You know, um, to do. You, you don't know what can actually send somebody to the edge. You don't I've, know if you're going to be that last conversation for someone. I've had this conversation before about um, comment boxes, and has there ever been any kind of like major positive breakthrough from comments yeah and Um, i'm kind of concluding no like it's almost an entertainment platform within itself um and i will tell you for body body positive movement i'm self-conscious about how i look and how like you know i'll take a picture sometimes and i mean my dad bod doesn't show through as well and you know (laughs) like you know, it, I'm very self-conscious about it, especially with how a lot of um, runners are portrayed as like super yes. lean, like six-pack abs is kind of the norm. Um, always that perfect uh, lean body, running yeah. running profile shot that's clearly a video that's been snapshot. But um, <laughs> and if you get really creative, you put the phone on the ground and almost yes. step on it and pause the video and screenshot. Um, <laughs> I've done those tricks. <laughs> I, I have to. Luckily I moved on. Um but yeah you're you're not alone and I you know I, I relate to a lot of um what you you battle and what you've overcome and it was just fun to talk to you about this and let's stay in touch. Absolutely. And hopefully Ultimate Direction Summit 2020, um, oh, we can go hit the trails and have fun. Yes. Yes. No, I'm definitely coming out there days earlier. Like um, I yeah. came out there and I was like, I missed all parts of this party. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then and plus it'll give me some time to kind of acclimate. I'm here at sea level. Um, 5280 definitely yeah. kicked my ass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean, again, I I showed up and I'm like, I hope my name's on this list when I'm going through the check-in door. Um, 
still not sure if that email found its way to the right person. Um, so it, it, it was meant you for you is meant for you. And I, I've definitely, you are definitely an essential part person that was there. We were all supposed to be in that room at that, at that very time. So yeah, nothing's an accident. Everything I treat, I treat life almost like, uh, um, God, what is that happy trees painter? <laughs> Bob Ross. Yeah, Bob Ross. Like, mine's, and it's crazy. Like, I mean, because people sent me a whole bunch of paraphernalia from um, Bob Ross. They're like, you're a Bob Ross fan? Because I call my cooking videos Bob Ross, like, because of the ASMR kind of feel to it. Yeah. Um, but he, he always says, like, his cliche um, statement is, nothing in life is, you know, is an, uh, a mistake. Everything's, you know, sometimes it's just happy little accidents. And I think that that's what life is you know we have these happy little accidents that happen to be deliberate um we are not put in any place or any environment at any time for no reason at all you have to find a purpose in it and you belong to that room just as much as i did i think you found the title of your book <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely I'm, let's put that energy out there in the air i definitely want to write a memoir that's something that i didn't think i would be interested in but this year has pushed me in that direction where i'm just like I need to write a book, like at least one, just to kind of get it off my head and get it off my chest um, and bear a couple of things. It all it all starts today. And yes. just take, take it one paragraph at a time every day. It's just right. like training for Havelina. You don't, right. you don't write a book in a day. You no. write it. You don't train for a hundred miler in a day. Just take 10 minutes every day. And Man, if- before you know it, you'll be writing about the finish line, the start finish line of Havelina. Right. So thanks for taking the time and uh, I'll stay in touch. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And that's episode 104. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Thank you to LaToya. We recorded that super early, so we made it work. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Um, Thank you to the show sponsors, Ultimate Direction, Sufferfest Beer, Hammer Nutrition, Exoskin, and Destination Trail. Big thank you again to the Patreon supporters now with that added perk. And hopefully we can find one or two more exclusive discounts just for Patreon supporters. And also, um, I mean, I know this is only the second leg of the Triple Crown. And so next episode, I'll probably have some pre-race thoughts for Tahoe. But I have coming up here very shortly, my big 401k for pediatric cancer if you do have a few minutes to check out www.401k4pediatriccancer.com, that will forward you to a website where you can make a small donation. It's greatly, greatly appreciated. I mean, each dollar for the first $5,000 are going to be matched by Empower Retirement. So it's a big deal to me. I really want to help raise awareness. Um, help this cause so thank you for checking that out and thank you again don't forget to have fun out there that's the whole point if you're having fun you'll get out more frequently and before you know it you'll actually be getting better so enjoy your training have fun see you guys